0: I just did not realize what kind of energy it takes to talk all day long. I hope
1: that readers come away aspiring to be more concerned with the suffering of others.
2: I am not a voice actor. However, I did enjoy pretending to be one. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks.
0: In this episode, meet author and photojournalist Deborah Kopakin, writer and activist Rebecca Walker, and American Ballet Theatre Principal Dancer James Whiteside. In their audiobooks, these authors muse powerfully upon struggles with identity and offer perspectives on their unique experiences. Listen to Deborah Kopakin on breaking down barriers of women in workplace settings. Rebecca Walker on childhood and belonging, and James Whiteside on inspiration from Roald Dahl. Enjoy. This is Deborah Kopakin. I wrote my book because during a 10-year period, really about a decade, a lot of bad things kept happening to my body, and I realized one day when I was staring down at the scars all over my body in the shower that they actually provided a useful outline for a narrative, and that each of these scars represented a piece of me that had been removed, and that that piece that was removed actually stood as kind of a perfect metaphor for the narrative that was going on in my life at the same time. I also felt like what I had to say about the female body and about sexual harassment and about everything we have to go through as women in the working world and women who choose to have children and a career, but corporate indifference to our needs has just been such a barrier over the years. I wrote it for people like me because I wanted other women who are struggling, and now we know after COVID how many of us have been struggling, to understand that they were not alone. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be breathless. I am not a voiceover artist. I am not an actor. I was trained as an actor in high school, but that was a long time ago. I'm 55 years old now. And every day in the studio has been just so many breaths and so much oxygen that when I get home at night, I just collapse because I've just been breathing and breathing and talking and breathing and talking, and I did not realize, I just did not realize, what kind of energy it takes to talk all day long. I realized I had trouble pronouncing minutiae. I have thought it was minutiae for my entire life. I have said minutiae many times out loud, and... I still can't believe it's minutiae. That doesn't sound right to my ears, and I don't think anyone else I know says it correctly either. So I may just keep saying minutia just because I feel like it. I'm proud that I was able to get through this. It's a long book. It's almost 500 pages, and it's been many, many days of sitting in a studio, getting these words out, and really stumbling over every other sentence. So I'm just proud that I made it to the end. I guess I'm most excited that listeners will get to have a tiny glimpse into what Nora Ephron was like as a mentor. I mean, we all know her as a filmmaker and writer and well-known person, but she was a mensch. You know, I know that only really applies to men, but I want to say it about her too. She was a real mensch and she was an important part of my life. And in many ways, this book is a paean to her and to her kindness. And I hope I'm able to mentor a younger woman in the same way she mentored me and just to pass that on. I mean, maybe this book is my way of trying to do that. I don't know. If I wasn't going to record my own audiobook, I would cast Natasha Leon because I just love her raspy voice. The last audiobook that I listened to and loved was Lauren Huff's Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing. And I had actually started reading the actual physical book, but... Her voice was so amazing and peculiar on the page that I just wanted to actually hear what her voice sounded like. And so when I found out that she was the one that actually read her own audiobook, I immediately purchased that as well. And it was so well done. And in fact, Kate Blanchett read a few of the essays. And even though Kate Blanchett did an amazing job, don't get me wrong, but I preferred hearing the narrative by Lauren herself because. You could hear her voice embodied in her voice, if that makes sense. I live in Brooklyn, and I mostly walk everywhere. I mean, I just got a car for the first time last year, so I'm not normally a car driver. I did listen to Lauren Huff's book, Half in the Car, but mostly when I listen to audiobooks, I'm walking. So I like to go on, you know, three-mile walks, and if I'm not walking with my partner, I like to just listen to an audiobook as I walk. And now... Listen to a clip from my audiobook. I'm crawling around on the bathroom floor, picking up pieces of myself. These pieces are not metaphor, they're actual pieces. Plum-sized, beet-colored, with the consistency and sheen of chicken liver, three of them have shot out of me like shells from a cannon. I am bleeding out, but my brain, starved of blood and in shock at the sight of so much of it, cannot process this information. Instead, I've become convinced that the ordnance sliding around my bathroom floor are my internal organs, which I must rescue so someone can put them back inside me.
1: Hi, this is Rebecca Walker, author of Black, White, and Jewish, Autobiography of a Shifting Self. This book is a memoir about growing up as a mixed-race person, as a child of the civil rights movement, You know, my parents married when it was illegal for them to marry. My father was a young Jewish law student, my mother a young African-American writer, and they followed the call of Dr. King and went to Jackson, Mississippi to do important civil rights work. And they had me, and I was the symbol of a post-race future that obviously hasn't materialized. (laughs) And when they divorced, I was left to shuttle back and forth between their very different worlds. And the book is about navigating my own identity and taking on masks of identity in order to belong in each world. And it's a real coming of age, you know, it's an exploration of feeling very, very insecure and in search of home, a place of belonging, and ultimately finding that place of belonging within myself and within an understanding of feeling connected to really all people who struggle and as we know, that's pretty much all of humanity. I was inspired to write this book because I, at the time that I wrote it in my mid-20s, was feeling a kind of psychological pressure. I felt that I had not been able to integrate all of the experiences, all of the different identities and performances of identity that I had lived with for most of my life. And I was concerned about that. You know, I was concerned about my own psychological well-being. The process of writing was very healing. You know, the process of being able to put all of these little slivers of myself that didn't seem connected and integrated into one place became very therapeutic and cathartic. So that when I ultimately looked at the book, it was the first tangible, visible representation of a whole Rebecca, a whole self. So it really convinced me that I was possible, that my existence was possible. You know, when I talk about this book to other people and, and when I speak about it, I often say that this book saved my life and I think I wrote it to save my life. If I had to describe what it was like to record this audiobook in one word, I would say that that word is emotional. It was extremely emotional. I was really, you know, taken back to many different moments in my childhood where I felt very, very vulnerable, and also moments that were pivotal in my evolution and that were really powerful, where people really came for me. They came to support me, and they showed me a part of myself that was inviolable and indestructible. And just to see the way that they reached out to me and held me in moments when I really needed to be held, was very, very moving to return to. I would also say it was revealing. I had forgotten many aspects of the book. I had forgotten how integral my sexuality and my my kind of sexual journey really was, you know, in this book. That was very interesting <laughs> um, to see the book again, to see myself again. To relive so much of my childhood and my young adulthood again. Very emotional, very revelatory. I think that I'm most proud of being able to get through the narration. <laughs> um, that I was actually able to show up here with my wonderful director, Lisa, and the fantastic engineer here with me in the studio, Tim, and to enter into this little mini cocoon and get through it, you know, to feel all of the things that came up. To muster in the context of the emotionality, to remember my ultimate goal, which is always to connect with readers, with listeners, with other people, you know, with other humans who are looking for stories to help them understand their lives and their journeys. To be able to do this at all, you know, (laughs) is what I'm most proud of, to be able to remember the why, the purpose, and also to survive the remembering. I'm excited for listeners to discover this book. I think because it was published so many years ago in a time when people were actually reading books more than they were listening to books, and we're in a very different moment now, my hope is that more people find this book because it's now in audio. So I'm excited for new listeners, for new readers, for new comrades on the path, new connections that even if we never meet, are formed and forged through this incredible medium that we are engaging right now. So I'm excited for that, to meet new people. One of the most rewarding things about writing this book is how many people have come to me and said that this book tells their story too. You know, I've had people waiting in line for hours for me to sign their books and they come up and they say, I'm white and I'm Christian and I'm, uh, I don't know, an aristocrat. And they'll say, you know, this is my story too. The takeaway for this that I'd like people to have is that we can survive our childhoods. We can be bigger than what has happened to us. We can honor the truth of our experiences and become bigger and better human beings as a result. I hope that people also really recognize that racism, that white supremacy, that injustice, that colonization, that all of the different institutionalized structures of oppression and segregation are fundamentally unhealthy for all of us. And I hope that readers come away aspiring to be more human, to be more empathic, to be more concerned with the suffering of others, to be more committed to dismantling all of the different structures that keep us apart. It's hard to imagine a dream narrator for this audiobook. I think I'm really glad that I read it. It's really my life, and I think my voice is the right one <laughs> to read it. I think there's something very authentic about the transmission of the story coming from me. And I hope that readers and listeners feel that deep connection and that it's really a gift from me to them and that we don't really need an intermediary. There's something very powerful and meaningful in the intimacy of hearing me read my own story to them. Right now I'm listening to this incredible biography of Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols, a life. And Mike Nichols was a dear friend and mentor of mine, a great film director, a very complicated human being. And I'm really enjoying learning more about his life as a young person coming to this country from Russia and all of the different ways in which he explored his creativity. And really just learning about all of the different moments that he was a part of the evolving cultural scene, you know, whether it was at the University of Chicago or studying in New York with Strasburg and going on with Elaine May to do their sketches and then starting to direct with Neil Simon and Sondheim and, you know, just hearing his evolution and trajectory is fascinating and I really love listening to it. I think the reader is really good too. George Newbern, Yesterday I was listening and thinking, God, I hope I'm as good as this reader. He's very sort of entertaining. I think I'm entertaining, too, in a very different way, but I really am enjoying that biography. I actually love listening to audiobooks while I'm driving. I live in L.A., and and I like to go to Palm Springs. It's one of my favorite places, you know, to be in the desert with the big open sky And, you know, audiobooks makes the tribe really wonderful because I can coast on that big road and learn something, you know, listen to a life. So I I really like to listen in the car. Please listen to a clip from my audiobook. After their divorce is final and they sell the house we all three lived in, and after my father takes a government civil rights job in Washington, D.C., and my mother moves to San Francisco where she feels she can write better because she can see the sky, my parents decide that I will spend two years alternately with each of them. I don't know how they come up with that number, two, as opposed to one, or why they didn't simply put me in junior high here and high school there. I don't know if staying in one city so that I wouldn't have to spend my life zigzagging the country so that I could have some semblance of a normal relationship with friends and family members ever crossed either of my parents' minds.
2: Hi, this is James Whiteside, author of Center Center, a funny, sexy, sad, almost memoir of a boy in ballet. I wrote Center Center because I knew I had a bunch of really hilarious stories that I wanted to tell. This isn't really a book about my life so much as it's about a couple things that have happened to me and the observations I've made along the way. I was inspired to write Center Center after reading a number of books that I thought I could really draw some style from. Some of them are Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. There are elements of fantasy in my Almost memoir. David Sedaris's, you know, all his books, essentially his style. And Roald Dahl. I was actually inspired to write this book right after I read Roald Dahl's Boy. If I had to describe recording my audiobook in one word... The word would be daunting. I had no freaking clue how hard it was to sit in a room and read aloud for seven hours. Good God, my brain almost fell out of my ear. I I don't know. It it just was one of the most, I don't know, nerve-wracking, frankly, tedious things I've ever done. And to listen to yourself talk for that long is truly a nightmare. (laughs) There was a phrase in my Loathe, Revile, Abhor, Detest chapter in which I talk about my body. (laughs) And it really eluded me, and the phrase was, I'm gonna try it really slowly, give me me a moment here, that would erode my jaw joints. And speaking quickly, I would go, that would erode my jaw joints. And I had to do it about four billion times, and I just felt embarrassed and sad for everyone involved. I did not know how to pronounce the word, are you ready, it's ridiculous, minutiae. I always pronounced it minutia. you know, you're being micromanaged, you're dealing with tedious minutia. that's how I thought it was pronounced. And I was alerted to the fact that it's really pronounced minutiae, which I think sounds absurd, but, you know, whatever. The chapter I'm most excited for listeners to hear is the Stranded in Casablanca chapter, which is actually written as a musical. It's got like a a play format, which is really interesting and I thought would be really awful in audiobook form, but is turning out to be my favorite one that I had the opportunity to record. It was so much fun delving into different characters and giving them personalities and life beyond what I had written. I am not a voice actor. However, I did enjoy pretending to be one. My dream narrator, living or dead, is Mel Blanc. So if I wasn't narrating my book, I would want Mel Blanc to narrate my book. He is the original voice of nearly all the Looney Tunes characters. Brilliant, hilarious, would be fun. So I asked my editor Okay, I need an audiobook to listen to that would be a good inspiration for me. And so she told me to listen to Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. And I just loved the way he sort of created characters out of his family and his friends. And it wasn't too voice-acty, but it had just enough personality. It was brilliantly done, and it intimidated me, frankly. It was so good. I loved it. I would recommend. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is at my apartment, perhaps even in my bed. I like to be in a quiet, relaxed situation, otherwise I can't pay attention to the book. If I'm taking the subway from Brooklyn to Manhattan, I don't know, I'm distracted by all the goings-on, by the life and vibrancy of New York City. I wanna pay attention to that. So, I keep it simple, keep it quiet, and listen to a story. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. I was 12 when my first dance teachers Angie and Steve took me to New York City's famed Lincoln Center to see an American Ballet Theater performance. It was early spring in 1996. The Twin Towers still stood, the premiere of Sex in the City was on the horizon, and the outrageous gentrification of New York City's grimiest neighborhoods had yet to occur. It was a magical time for the world's most vivaciously vicious city. ABT's Spring Gala is structured like a Greatest Hits show, It's chock-full of excerpted scenes from the company's most famous ballets, Swan Lake, Don Quixote, and Romeo and Juliet, as well as American classics by Twyla Tharp, Agnes DeMille, Anthony Tudor, and Mark Morris. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com nextlisten next listen.